Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Amidst all the noise of politics, especially on the national stage, we forget that it's still made up of real people with real lives and complex relationships and evolving marriages. Someone once said that the key to political success was learning how to fake authenticity. One thing we've come to learn over the past eight years about the Obamas is that they are real. They are authentic, albeit the nature of their lives and, yes, even their authenticity has changed over the first four years and perhaps even more so during the full eight. While much has been written about the president and much written about the first lady, understanding the Obama marriage is still often a mystery. In many ways, marriages are like icebergs. What we see only represents 10% of reality. And in fact, history tells us that particularly with political marriages, they're kind of like snowflakes. No two are alike. We're going to talk about the Obamas today with New York Times correspondent Jody Cantor. She originally published the Obamas back in 2012. She has covered the Obamas since 2007, and her book, The Obamas, has just been reissued in paperback. It is my pleasure to welcome Jody Cantor back to this program. Jody, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be with you. It's good to have you here. When we look at how the Obamas have evolved, even since you wrote about them back in 2012, Talk a little bit about what additional changes have happened, particularly with respect to their relationship, their marriage, in the past four years. Well, um, I would say the biggest thing is we're we're witnessing the end of a journey we've all seen in which the Obamas went in a very dramatic short amount of time, for being, from being these sort of political outsiders to being the ultimate insiders, I started covering the Obamas a decade ago, and they were really not part of the Washington scene whatsoever. They were, they were outsiders. The president had a funny name that, you know, late 2006, uh, early 2007, a lot of Americans were like, who's Barack Obama? You know, his, his last name makes him sound like Osama bin Laden, Michelle Obama had never been part of Washington. Even after her husband won election to the Senate, she didn't spend time there. She was still sort of like doing the grocery shopping, living um, a fairly everyday life in in Chicago. And so when what my book is really about is the process of them becoming president and first lady, because I saw as a reporter that that was not something that happens all in one stroke at inauguration. It, it is really a process of transformation. And so to answer your question, what I think we've seen from them in the last four years is the continuation of a really dramatic learning curve. They've sort of gotten comfortable um, in these roles beyond what we've ever seen before. We've seen, for example, the First Lady give these really powerful addresses at the Democratic Convention and then a few weeks later about the Trump groping allegations in which she has wielded a kind of political and yet personal voice more fluently uh, than ever. Um, You know, the funny thing, of course, is that the new president uh, and his wife are, in a sense, even more outsiders than Barack and Michelle Obama ever were. It's interesting to think about, because as you say, nothing of this happens instantaneously, how it's going to be possible for them to adjust, how the adjustment will take place once they're outside of the White House. The Obamas have a long history of reinventing themselves, especially the president. He has been through a lot of really dramatic swings in his life. He went from... I mean, he, he, you know, essentially uh, lost his father at a really early age. He went from, you know, living on one side of the world to living on the other side of the world. Um, 
he, you know, as he described in his memoir, he experienced these kind of massive changes in his identity. He went from being a community organizer to a politician, an atheist to a Christian. And so I think, I, I think the president... Um, and the First Lady will probably undergo a process of really thinking about who they want to be on the public stage. The, the wild card, of course, in all of this is they didn't expect to be living in Donald Trump's America. If Hillary Clinton had won, I think they would have had, you know, a very, like, valedictory uh, immediate post-presidential period. They would have watched a lot of their policies and ideas carried out by the new president. Now they're going to be living... Um, in a country governed by a presidency, they're, they're probably going to disagree with uh, on really fundamental levels. And so the question I have is sort of how they cope with and respond to that and how it changes the things that they would have done. The other thing to note, by the way, is that they're still very young. They're both in their 50s. And so they have a long time left on the public stage. And it's more complicated, as you've written about, more complicated for Michelle Obama because she has amassed so much political capital and it becomes a question of the degree to which she uses it and really what the purpose of that capital becomes at this point. Yes. So one of the things my book is about is about Michelle Obama learning behind the scenes to kind of master the role of first lady. And one of the things she learned is that there's this paradox where the less partisan you appear, the more effective politically you can actually be. So doing things like appearing on late night shows and talking about herself as the mom in chief and doing these funny videos that bloomed across social media. That actually all made, it seems very non-political, and yet all of that made her much more politically effective. So does she continue that, which keeps her powerful, um, or does she weigh in more directly on the issues of the day than she has as First Lady? And I think that's actually a, a, a pretty tough choice. She and the president are also going to be the first president and first lady in the age of social media. I don't think they're going to have dueling, you know, Twitter wars uh, with Donald Trump, but they're going to have this immediate public platform um, where they can speak to a large number of people very, very quickly. And as you've pointed out, she is much more outraged, although she's kept it to herself, much more outraged about the partisanship from Republicans over the past eight years. Well, I don't know that she's more outraged than the president, but she certainly expresses it with more heat. In in their relationship generally, um, you know, the president just has this unbelievable calm, um, and the first lady is often the one who, by her, her admission, will get um, – be, she'll be more vehement um, about things. And when she believes in something, she believes it really, really passionately. She doesn't share this – in public, but her private critiques of Republicans over the last few years have been scorching. To what extent has the the intimate nature of their relationship and the way particularly that the president is so comfortable in that relationship, to what extent has that arguably held him back, some would argue, in terms of reaching out in, in schmoozing more and seeking more friends outside of the White House, etc.? You know, I don't know that the I, I don't know that it's the most important factor. President Obama is just pretty solitary by nature, especially for a politician. He is um, not somebody. He, you know, he was brought up in this fairly solitary way. Um, his dad disappeared. His mom actually sent him to live in a different country with his grandparents. 
um, he really had to make his own way. Um, and even early in the Obama marriage, um, the president went to Bali to write his book just a couple of weeks after getting married, which is a pretty unusual thing to do. He is not, he is, it's kind of a paradox for a politician because he's so effective with a crowd. It's not that he doesn't like people, but he just has this somewhat solitary nature. We've read about the kind of long nights he spends um, in the White House um, thinking, you know, um, not talking on the phone the way Bill Clinton did, right, to a million different people, but really organizing his own thoughts. Uh, and so I think that is just his nature. If anything, sometimes Michelle Obama has drawn him out more and helped him connect to other people. Talk a little bit about what you see as the nature of their partnership going forward. How might that change in the post-presidential years? Well, for one thing, it won't all be directed by the president's career anymore. Since pretty early in their marriage, Michelle Obama has had to build a life around her husband's political ambitions, which is not an easy thing to do. And one of the questions I have about their partnership going forward is whether it's a little bit more equal. I interviewed them in the Oval Office in 2009, and I asked them, how can you have an equal relationship when one person is president? Um, the president actually had trouble answering the question, and Michelle Obama finally rescued him and said, the first thing she said was, uh, we're equal in our private lives, even if we're not equal in our public lives. And then she said, we're going to be married for a long time, and the measure of equality in a marriage is not over a short period, it's over a long period. Are they aware of the degree to which they get compared to the Clintons, and, and how does that impact them? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I think that was more in the earlier years of the presidency when there was more of a rivalry between the two. I, I they, They're aware of it in different ways. They both have very different operating styles than the Clintons. Um, the, the president... Um, you know, it's not the consummate schmoozer uh, that Bill Clinton was. Bill Clinton was like a politician's politician's politician's. Barack Obama is a very unusual politician who in some ways hates politics and the traditional tasks it entails. Michelle Obama does have some su superficial things in common with Hillary Clinton. They're both Ivy League trained lawyers, Um they have some of the same interests in terms of, you know, caring about kids and women, um, really caring about opportunity in this country. And yet, as First Lady, she never wanted to be like Hillary Clinton. She never wanted to be directly involved in policy. And yet there's endless talk about her getting, in, or at least among people that want her to get more involved in politics and ultimately perhaps the run for office. I wouldn't take that seriously. She has dismissed it. Her husband has dismissed it. I, look, as somebody who covered her for six years, I would say, if Michelle Obama ever runs for public office, I will eat the book that I wrote about her. <laughs> that is how little appetite she has for public life. But I, I, I would interpret that a different way, which is to say there's so much public enthusiasm about her work and about who she is. And at a time when the Democratic Party kind of feel like kind of feels like it's in meltdown. Um, how will she respond to all of this desire to see her continue to play a very large role on the public stage? It, one thing that's true in politics is that when, when people really want to hear from you, it's very hard to resist. The other question, I suppose, to the extent that she doesn't get directly involved in politics, what her professional career looks like in a few years? Well, I, I think it's a given she's going to write a book. Um, she's really been saving up her own insights 
and observations. She wants to share them. I don't think we know what kind of book it's going to be. Is it going to be, it's very hard to write a very frank political memoir, but what does she want to convey? How does she want to convey it? Um, and then after that, you know, I've, I've talked to her advisors about this, and it's pretty much a question mark. What her aides say is that the Obamas and both of them really have been very focused on tying up their time in the White House. The president's been actually incredibly busy these last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. not only with all of these, you know, farewell events, but he's actually trying to do a lot to sort of limit and stop um, what President-elect Trump can do. And for Michelle Obama, I think she's really focused on seeing the family off well. And, and the next two years, I think her... Ideally, a little bit of a timeout for them. That is, if they could write the script. I don't know if they're ever really going to get a timeout, but they really do have to create the next stage of their lives. They're staying in Washington for a bit because Sasha will still be in high school. But after that, you know, where do they live? How does their foundation slash library take place? What else do they want to do? They're still relatively young, as we discussed, so they're going to be on the public stage um, for a long time. And what Aid say is that they're both really rethinking their lives and, and, and kind of want to take a step back and think about this in a fresh way. I suppose, and you touched on this a little while ago, one of the things that's really different and that perhaps may be determinative of what they do is how the next few years in America go and what this Trump administration looks like, because it's really potentially very different than any other transition where there certainly may be differences in personality or differences in policy more specifically, but this could go upside down very quickly, and that may change dramatically what they do and how they speak out. Exactly. And I, I somebody asked me last week, you know, what is the president you know, going to do it in six months and 12 months. And I said, I really, my instinct is that he's just like the rest of us. And he's waiting to see what happens with the Trump presidency. You know, you talk about the kind of potential for mayhem, but I think it's also very possible that the Trump presidency is going to be your basic Republican administration with kind of a more reality show twist. We, we just do not fully know yet. You know, as you say, there's, there's, also, the potential, you know, given the rate at which Trump is kind of flouting um, the usual rules of Washington and the presidency already, it's possible that uh, things could grow serious very quickly and that the Obamas may want to weigh in in some way. It, there's all, they're also going to have a lot of pressure from the Democratic Party to help them kind of rebuild and oppose, but neither of them are sort of traditional party politicians. And so we have to see how they handle those questions. The other aspect of this, and, and for those of us that are old enough and that have gone through it, we know that it's always a dramatic change. They are about to become, in a couple of years, empty nesters. Yes, and that will also give them more freedom to redefine their lives as they wish. And do you think that that will have a profound effect on them? Uh, well, they're very focused on parenting. So part of my book is about what it's been like for them to parent um, in the White House and also the extent to which their girls have kind of played a role in their political narrative. And in some ways, the girls have been their counter to politics. You know, their family life is what they escape to, what they disappear to. The president in speeches often made this kind of contrast between um, the ugliness of political life and then the sort of warmth uh, of family life and the inspiring parts of raising two girls. Um, And 
Yeah, it is. It, I mean, when we think about the Obamas publicly, it is sort of funny to think about them without those girls by their side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is, and you just made reference to it, is the ugliness of politics and how this administration has, I mean, how Trump so far and how ultimately the administration may change the kind of cultural discourse of the country and the degree to which either of the Obamas address that or speak out about that, separate and apart from policy, per se? Well, I think the Obamas have just always struck a a very dignified note on the public stage, even even as they've managed to come across as um, unstuffy and energetic and, you know, at times informal. It's clear that they do really believe in the dignity of the office. Beyond the office, I'm really looking at it in terms of just the kind of cultural landscape of the country and what represents appropriate discourse. Well, I think the president, I was at the president's goodbye speech in Chicago last Mm -hmm. week, and it was incredibly striking because the atmosphere was very rah-rah, a lot of young people, very excited. And yet the president's speech was really sobering. Mm Mm-hmm. In many ways, in part because he was defending certain things that we hadn't known would need defending. And one of the things he talked about um, was just the ability of one citizen to speak to another in a civil way. I think he even said something like, you know, the next time you want to talk to somebody, get off the Internet and go and do it in person. Right. And so I do think that is something that concerns them a great deal. Do you have a sense of where they're going to go live once they leave Washington? There are a few places on the table. I mean, their their foundation and library is going to be in Chicago, and it seems like a safe, like a safe assumption that they're always going to maintain a connection there, but we don't know if they're going to want to go back to Chicago full-time. It's a funny situation because they are... Remember that, you know, they didn't just live in Chicago and, you know, like work at a big corporation or work at a law firm or whatever. They were really connected to the neighborhoods of Chicago. The president represented Chicago in the Illinois State Senate. The first lady did all sorts of community work, especially on the south side. These are people who know, you know, many of the blocks of Chicago, know a lot of the local institutions have been through schools, you know, hospitals, et cetera, et cetera. So on the one hand, they have these kind of profound connections to the city. On the other hand, I think it's pretty hard to go home again and to slip back into that old life. Their house, for example, in Chicago, I don't know is tenable as a post-presidential house. Um, It's already been kind of hard um, for them to use during the presidency to come home. I I don't know how much time they're going to spend there, whether they might decide to sell it or not. The president keeps talking about wanting to be in someplace warm, not necessarily Chicago. Right. Well, I, you know, the, the natural places for them are Chicago and Hawaii and New York, and we'll have to see where they land and how they divide their time. They seem to have a, an affinity for California as well. They do. They do. I, I, I you know, just as, so a lot of my book is about, um, like, the sort of, logistics of being president and how it affects your everyday life. And that stuff does not completely end with the presidency. When George Bush left office, the second George Bush, he and his wife, Laura, not only bought a house in Dallas, but they also bought the house next door because that's a lot more convenient for the Secret Service and whatnot. Hillary and Bill Clinton just basically did the same thing in Chappaqua. You, even when you're living as a 
so-called everyday citizen, you're really not because the level of security and also the level of attention you get is really great. And so it's not that I'm following this on a day-to-day basis, but my strong instinct is that some of the decisions they make um, about how to live in their post-presidential lives will be dictated by logistics. You know, are we going to be stopping traffic for everybody every time we come through this place? You know, can we come and go easily? What's our degree of privacy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The one thing that and it really goes to this issue of how young they are this idea that they're going to be in the public eye for a long time to come, and they have a lot more, con- both of them have a lot more contribution to make. Yes, and, and so many topics they could they could get involved in. You know, the thing about being president is that you don't ultimately get a choice of what you're dealing with, right? I mean, you have some leeway, but the issues that have come across uh President Obama's desk as president are the issues that have come across his desk as president. Um, In the post-presidency, he'll get to choose what he'll focus on, and that's a really big switch. Jody Cantor, her book is The Obamas. It is just out in paperback with a new forward. Jody, I thank you so much for spending time with us. It's great to be with you, Jeff. Thank you.